This is Hard Rock Safe Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast focused on Asian multimedia from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm your host, Dave, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 1. Unlike the previous two seasons, we'll be changing the format of the show a little bit. Uh, instead of focusing on a specific director, uh, we'll be taking a look at themes instead this time. And for Season 3, that theme is going to be Mega Tokyo. So we'll be looking at um, several films and novels uh, that primarily deal with the world of conglomerates and how that is played out in a, a futuristic setting. Um, take in mind that all, these all being um, older releases have a stylized view of the future. Um, and it is to our, our benefit that we can compare that with a few instances of uh, how these events a actually played out, given that it is currently the far-off future year of 2019, uh, which is depicted in a few of the um, series that we'll be taking a look at. And with the idea of Mega Tokyo or Neo Tokyo being the primary subject matter um, for this season, the series we'll be taking a look at mostly will be Bubblegum Crisis in uh, all of its incarnations from the original uh, OVA series to its prequel, AD Police Files, the reboot Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040, and then the other two spin-offs um, of the 2040 universe. But alongside the Japanese releases, we have the South Korean film Natural City, and in one of our previous episodes, um, last season, we took a, the uh, Hong Kong live-action Wicked City, which is thematically, um, some, some parts of it are similar. Because we'll be looking at an established universe, uh, at least on the bubblegum crisis side of things, there is a general timeline that um, the... the media are set within but we'll uh, we'll be jumping around a little bit um, pretty much as I see fit with that in mind we'll kick off the season with the OVA series Parasite Dolls the series was released over a three month period um, from May through July in 2003 now given that that's slightly past the 90s era um, that the podcast generally takes a look at um, I'm still comfortable in using um, this particular series and potentially a few more uh, that are from the early um, 2000s as they, they fit thematic, um, thematically uh, and are still within the range of um, appearances uh, of the films that um, preceded it in the late 90s and don't venture too far uh, from the end of the cel-shaded era, at least in the, on the anime front. That's not going to impact, really, the, the live-action films, of course. The South Korean film Natural City also, um, I believe, was released in 2002, but we'll uh, look at that a little closer um, when, it, when we get around to that episode. While Parasite Dolls is a three-part OVA series, it was also released as a single um, OVA film, which 
just combine the three. There's no other um, edits, as far as I could tell, that were done to you know, tie it together. However, on the theatrical release, there's an omission of credits in between the individual episodes. Each of them begins after a brief um, fade to black. But in the original DVD releases, they, they each had their ending credits um, attached. However, on revisiting this as a, I guess through a streaming service, the, um, the individual episodes do not have the credits on them. Uh, and all, all three episodes are compiled uh, credit-wise at the end of the, the third. The other deciding factor in not um, continuing to pursue any of these, um, these particular media series past the uh, 2003 release date of Parasite Dolls is that this was, in fact, the last um, release of an in-universe um, piece of multimedia uh, as far as um, an animated film is concerned, or animated series. And as unfortunate as that may be, there are still um, dozens of hours of uh, <laughs> content to, uh, to consume and take a look at. Um, and that will tide us over in this particular season for the foreseeable future. Uh, we will, since we will be going through each of the um, specific entries as well as interjecting other uh, films that I find have related motifs. So this uh, season three will be quite lengthy, but um, in particular with the Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040, which is a, a much longer um, series, I won't be looking at uh, every single episode individually. They will probably be lumped together uh, or I will be picking um, personal favorites or uh, ones that feel a little bit less like filler. So we'll see how that kind of turns out when I get closer to covering um, BGC um, 2040. But as that's down the road a little ways, uh, we'll turn our immediate attention um, back to Parasite Dolls. Uh, and episode one, or I guess OVA one of uh, Parasite Dolls is entitled A Faint Voice. This is set in uh, 2034. Now, given that this series is... Well, this OVA is at the end of the series and introduces a lot of terms that would otherwise be familiar to anyone um, having had viewed uh, everything that came before. Uh, we'll sort of give a small overview of each of the um, terms as they occur. Keeping in mind, those of you that may have not seen this series uh, in part or in whole. So, yeah, as they, as they pop up... Uh, I'll, I'll address them in kind. I think in part uh, because this is a three-episode series, there's not a lot of room for the, uh, the creators to go into anything very lengthy on the, the background of the setting. A lot of it is assumed to the viewer to be familiar in some way, at least um, <clears throat> if not in terms in themselves uh, in the context of what's going on. This is a, a cyberpunk setting, um, <laughs> mildly at the time, I guess it was several several years and a couple decades into the future, and things are roughly as they 
would have appeared in the early early 2000s um we have that i wouldn't say it's a maybe a nostalgic view of the future a lot of this and the the bubblegum crisis series uh, as a whole owes a lot to inspirations from the film blade runner uh, they've not let that go uh, in fact parasite dolls as a whole is in essence a police procedural and we're following the exploits of a secretive branch within the eight police uh, entitled well the branch so they <laughs> didn't get too imaginative there with their naming conventions the eighty police is uh, shorthand for advanced police they handle specific um crimes related to boomers uh, in, in this in this future world. There are the normal police who handle day-to-day crimes and then the advanced police who handle the boomer-specific um, incidences. Now, aside from the 80 police, the boomers are um, something that is uh, maybe not unique, but um, specific to this, this series as a whole. Uh, boomer-specific is a sort of a pejorative um, term that is used to refer to the boomers. Uh, they're cybernetic organisms um, produced, or organisms, they're uh, <coughs> cyborgs <laughs> produced by the Genome Corporation. And it stands for, uh, or boomer itself is a, um, an acronym standing for voodoo organic, organic metal extension resource. Uh, that is referred to, I believe, in one episode of the uh, AD um, Police to Serve and Protect TV series, which is the prequel to Parasite Dolls, which in turn is the prequel to um, Tokyo uh, Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040. However, in Parasite Dolls and in most subsequent series, uh, the, the cyborgs are all referred to under the generic term of Boomer. Um, which is that the uh, the boomer cyborgs, when they go out of control on occasion uh, or on multiple occasions, as we find throughout this series, they burst out of their um, human-styled skin and um, reveal the uh, grotesque robotic um, interior. Uh, thus bursting out of that flesh um, has earned them the lapel of Boomer. And since I've already mentioned it, the Genom Corporation is our primary series antagonist. Uh, I guess that's the, the proper term for an evil corporation or a corporation bent on world domination in some form or the other. They are the conglomerate that is responsible for producing the boomers as well as undertaking many uh, civil engineering projects in the original um, bubblegum crisis. So it's not in direct continuity with um, Parasite Dolls. There is a uh, land reclamation project entitled Aqua City, which is ultimately is destroyed by a uh, rogue beam satellite. But that, um, that idea of Aqua City, of r reclaiming land um, from the 
the harbor outside of um, Tokyo uh, and setting that up for um, a, well, in this case Aqua City I believe is an industrial business park but in uh, Parasite Dolls we have that same idea and it's, it's taken a step further uh, in the creation of Genom City it's a uh, series of I guess it's like an archipelago. It's a bunch of islands inside of a harbor. Um, and these these reclaimed lands are connected by uh, a series of bridges forming like a, a highway along uh, all of the islands uh, for commuters. And the, the Genom City itself, uh, again, is it's wholly run by the... Genom uh, conglomerate with oversight, um, but, but of course by the, J the Japanese government um, oversight that we see in episode three. Once we or OVA three, once we get to that one, but the the city on the whole uh, has, or I guess it forms the um, manufacturing core of. Um, the Genom Corporation for all their boomer production, where the workers and the police force and the residents uh, all live in um, the, the assorted islands of Genom City. Uh, unfortunately, there's not uh, a map or anything that kind of gives a better overview of the structure of these islands. Uh, we just have a a few flyby shots and um, some uh, helicopter aerial scenes kind of showing how some of the layout is, but it, it, it's no different than, I guess, the uh, wards of um, the general metropolitan areas. So in short, Genom, 80 police, uh, boomers, they will all be mentioned uh, throughout coverage of this, this series as a whole. Uh, Less so in, well, no, they're, <laughs> they're going to be talked about, I, I think, um, at, at length and in greater detail in a few of the other series, more specifically in the core of uh, BGC 2040 um, and the original Bubblegum Crisis. This, as I mentioned, is more of a police procedural and deals more specifically with um, the members of the branch of uh, AD Police. And because of that, and because it's only three episodes long, there's, there's something of a lack. And I think that this series would have benefited uh, with being longer. Um, the, the decision to frame it as one sort of theatrical piece is maybe a little bit better than in the, the three separate, um, I guess, the three constituent episodes. So it's an easier viewing experience rather than broken up into one episode per month as it was originally released. The first episode um, is more or less it's introducing us to the, the main characters of the branch uh, which are um, Basil Nyquist, um, goes by the nickname Buzz, and 
is only referred to as Basil in the uh, ending credits. We have Kimball, his boomer um, partner. Michelson, the uh, group's firebee pilot. Um, the firebees are basically single-manned single um, helicopters uh, for use in navigating the cityscape and getting to places um, quickly uh, and for surveillance. The, it's an, it enables both the regular police and the AD police to um, get across the large metropolitan landscape without um, being bound by the, the traffic patterns uh, or the twisting and turning highways. They're, they're able to go from point A to point B um, in basically a straight line. Uh, we also have Myers, uh, who is the computer hacker, I guess, of the team. And then uh, Angel, who works generally undercover um, in various positions in the setting of these three episodes. She is undercover at the Genom Corporation, providing the team with intel uh, from f files uh, that she's able to access at Genom. So wherever she was planted in the company is, is fairly high up, uh, given the amount of and um, secrecy of the information that she's uh, able to access. We also have their chief, uh, this is Chief Takahashi, and he, unlike <clears throat> unlike the rest of the branch members, is the sort of locus uh, of the, the plot to the third episode, um, but he's introduced here along with everyone else in the, in the first episode. That, that's, and that's one thing that this show could have benefited from, um, on the whole, it's enjoyable, but after having uh, watched Cyber City 0808 uh, and given the nature of the three-episode uh, OVA series to focus each episode on a member of the, the core cast, um, I think that this may have been a little bit more enjoyable were they able to have done that as well you know, in, in Parasite Dolls, which they did not. But given that it's a team and they're less individuals and more partners, uh, it, it makes sense to, to kind of do what they did anyway. Um, that's just a, an aside um, from myself wanting a little bit more <laughs> of this series uh, so any excuse to have that have had happened would have been great and I'm meandering a little bit so let's get back on track uh, OVA1 A Faint Voice um, this is about the team going after a series of boomers having gone rogue and causing chaos throughout the city um, as the as the episode is occurring there have been three previous uh, incidences of these rogue boomers uh, all occurring on a on a Friday so three consecutive Fridays 
and the episode is them, the, the team, uh, attempting to stop the third, or I guess fourth uh, occurrence from happening, and then at least, uh, if not if not stop it, um, track it to its origin and find out why these boomers in particular are going berserk and um, causing many um, untold amounts of property damage. Uh, that, of course, also is on part of the 80 police who, in their methods to subdue the rogue boomers, cause a bit of uh, collateral damage on their own, firing uh, heavy artillery within an urban landscape. Uh, it's probably never a good idea, but unfortunately, due to the nature of the, the boomers and their um, combat capabilities, the heavier weapons are required to take them down uh, on, on for the most part. Um, there's a few ways to um, disable them um, in person, but I think those are decidedly uh, less safe for the, the user. So of the team, the, I mean, everyone's given a, a, a brief moment of screen time, but by and large, this is, uh, in the series, I guess, as a whole, is focused um, heavily with Buzz Nickvest, and some screen time is given to um, Kimball and Michelson, less so to Myers, Angel, and even um, Chief Takashi. In the first episode, uh, Buzz is spending most of the time, along with Kimball, um, engaged in buddy cop hijinks. Uh, they have a a decent working relationship given what we find on um, Buzz's history. He originally had worked with uh, the the normal, I think it's with the normal police, or he's at least with the AD police and not in branch, but uh, he mistakenly um, murders a child uh, in the belief that she was a rogue boomer. It doesn't really get into it aside from a few uh, very quick flashbacks of that incident and it's mentioned um, in passing uh, by a few characters later on. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would get him relegated to Branch uh, or if Branch picked him because he was just going to be put on administrative leave. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, it would be interesting if had the series had had the time to look into that a little bit deeper, but it, uh, unfortunately it did not. We also find through, I don't think it's anything overt, but um, Buzz's wife had been killed by a berserk boomer, and he currently lives pretty much on his own uh, with a boomer stand-in for his wife. Um, she's not given much screen time or personality beyond a faithful-sounding housewife, um, letting him know that, or just continually preparing dinner and letting him know that the office called, um, that sort of thing, uh, which is a shame, um, but we, we go with the hands we dealt um, in this particular series. Kimball, um, his, his boomer partner, is 
fleshed out maybe a little more, um, despite the, the, the general nature or aloofness of most boomers uh, who are dealing with AI subroutines and not, um, not a genuine full like emotion package. Uh, some of them appear to have more sophisticated AI than others, uh, while we do also find that certain boomers have been um, implanted with not false memories, but um, like I guess donor memories from a, a human host. It's not made clear, but it seems like the human host in these cases um, may not survive that process, or it's a post-mortem um, process to transfer one's memories in, into a boomer. So Buzz and um, Kimball, due to a informant that Buzz has, are given notice of a specific drug that is um, being passed around uh, in the back alleys of the city and uh, is being consumed by boomers, some of whom uh, may or may not have gone rogue. Kimball, because he has <laughs> antivirus software, um, is able to consume a sample of this drug to analyze it. And that part was a little bit silly, but um, uh, we we find out instead of a, a, a drug that's causing um, this problem, it's, it's actually uh, nanomachines that are designed to install subroutines to fix um, potential problems before they, they begin. Uh, or there are... Uh, as we see specific uh, serial models or serial numbers of boomers that have come off of the assembly line um, defective. So their creation, I don't believe, was intentional, but uh, whatever it was that's causing them to go rogue uh, is something that the Genome Corporation has identified and has marked specific models um, for uh, this emergency um, firmware update <laughs> that they've done. Um, it's, it's interesting that they've uh, decided to do that and that they're using this kind of drug angle to sort of throw a false sense of what this plot is going to be because the the, the the branch office themselves are under the impression uh, for a, a large part of the episode that these drugs are what's causing um, the outbreak rather than its, uh, its cure. And to its credit, the series itself goes a long way to humanize the boomers. We have a subplot with a uh, radio host, uh, Chieko, and her um, producer slash audio engineer, um, Kane, uh, the latter of whom is also a boomer. And then, of course, we have Kimball. And aside from one particular boomer in the second episode, Kimball is probably the most human um, of the boomers that we, we come across in the series. And that's a, a nice change of pace um, from what other, other episodes, or not episodes, but other series in, in this um, universe uh, do to uh, portray the boomers, e even the ones that are closer to, I guess, quote, unquote, closer to human than uh, the, the ones that go out of control. 
between Kimball and um, Kane, we have a, a good uh, study in contrast where both men uh, are by and large stoic individuals um, due to their programming, I'm imagining. But uh, Kimball possesses some uh, manners of insight into the human condition, at least as far as recognizing uh, subtle and not maybe um, completely overt emotions that, that are being displayed. Whereas we see Cain is, or at least his um, defective part of his personality, is enabling him to facilitate an emotion um, similar to, if not uh, outright, uh, love or at least want for his um, his co-worker, Chieko, and that, that becomes an, an issue um, toward the end of the episode. Kimball, uh, on the other hand, is constantly making jokes, but they're, they're very deadpan or doesn't realize what he's saying um, can be misconstrued and it's a it's a good foil to um, his partner Buzz who is the archetype of a um, sort of hard-boiled detective and he aside from having his um, facsimile of a dead wife he well, he plays the saxophone um, lives in a small apartment pretty much by himself. And the rapport we see in between um, Buzz and Kimball uh, develops as the series progresses. Uh, it's It never starts out, or at least as far as we can tell, um, it's, a, it's a functioning, working relationship. Um, they're not antagonistic toward one another. Buzz's potential dislike for boomers does not uh, affect his partnership and he never treats um, I guess never treats the wrong word he treats uh, Kimball pretty much as he would treat anybody else and isn't quite so standoffish with him that they like I mentioned they kind of joke around with each other and he, and he treats them as something not expendable as a human um, which is what you know of course Kimball would prefer uh, and as well as we, we see the other boomers as well that's their not driving force but they would prefer to be seen as human um, and not a tool and that's a, a theme that the, the show itself uh, does not go far in trying to hide so aside from the idea that boomers are more than just uh, analogs uh, for humans or, or tools or any kind of stand-in, um, the, the, the show takes the time to illustrate how different levels of society uh, treat these boomers. And one core example is in this first episode, uh, we find that there's a little bit of a wrinkle in the plot to the um, Berserk Boomers. It's not only Genom, the corporation that knows uh, which serial numbers are going to go Berserk or have a potential to go Berserk, but there are, well, I mean, they may have been Genom employees. It doesn't dig into it, but there's a uh, 
a fancy section of town with uh, um, expensive condominiums and uh, a, a lavish party is being thrown where the um, attendees of the party are all hooked up to a um, machine that allows them to vicariously experience a perceptions and all that entails um, sending waves of adrenaline um, to through the machine uh, to, to, to the, uh, the remote viewers and this is that idea of uh, a fusion of man and machine without the repercussions that it would entail were that to be a, um, a physical fusion and not um, a digital one, I guess, a remote um, one. They're able to disengage um, at will, uh, assuming their experience itself is not um, addictive, which it could very well be, but the, 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 we don't get that uh, section of it uh, through this episode anyway. But... Furthermore, and I think on the other side of that coin, um, the, the group that has hacked into these boomers and is um, reaping the benefits of such a, a union, it, it's one way to look at um, how they're interacting with boomers or just technology in general. Uh, on that same note, uh, and during that same scene, we have um, Michelson, who is the, the Fire Bee pilot. Uh, she, with the help of Myers, tracks down um, the, the, the group that is um, plugged into the, the rogue boomers, and um, she, she destroys their connection device, the hub. But in doing so, she's utilizing her... Uh, the, the weaponry at her disposal um, from the fire bee to, to uh, eradicate that device, but um, is exhibiting a um, strong emotional <laughs> connection to the, the, the fire bee and the destructive power of the machine gun she's wielding. Um, I think that that's not really any different to uh, the adrenaline high that the, um, the, the criminals are exhibiting. Um, but unfortunately, again, the, the show doesn't take the time to um, pursue that any further, uh, just this one scene. And it's important to the understanding of Michelson's character. It also would have uh, made for a little bit more um, in-depth viewing uh, were that to be explored um, at a further point in the in the series, um, which is unfortunate it's not. Fortunately, we can extrapolate uh, uh, on that and read into it that um, Michelson's character is as reliant on her fire bee uh, as her partner. Um, it's it's not a um, intelligent device. It is a it's a machine, uh, a vehicle. No no different um, than uh, the, the police cars that we have. Um, I guess they're not police cars, just regular cars <laughs> that uh, the others drive. But it's, uh, it's, her, it's her partner, as um, Kimball is to Buzz. And 
we see that a little bit in later episodes, not not her explicit connection to um, the power that the fire bee um, grants to her, um, giving her abilities beyond um, the, the, the human, but that uh, any any chance that she gets, even when it's uh, a, a normal police um, radio call, um, she responds in her uh, fire bee to, to get their ostensibly quicker um, and respond to these crimes, even though they're, they're outside of the jurisdiction of the uh, AD police, uh, let alone the special uh, branch office. So she has an issue um, with authority, uh, in particular uh, branch as a whole, um, whether being part of their... Um, purview they they act a little bit uh, above and beyond uh, the the status that the law would um, normally grant to i believe either the normal police or even the um, advanced police they take it upon themselves to be judge jury and executioner in some of these um, events and that's troublesome um but not outside of the themes that I think uh, the series in, in general um, is, is taking a look at due to what technology uh, is has been made available and the what it provides um, for humanity, but also the hazards and pitfalls and the, the within this universe, the very real need for an advanced police or for something to um, act as a check against uh, misuse or um, limiting bounds to uh, the, the progress of technology and its weaponization um, in, in many of the forms, uh, not only um, on part of humans, but uh, on part of the technology itself, uh, the, the AI, um, the artificial intelligence uh, routines that are granted to these it's dealing with um the potential hazards we've seen in uh films such as the terminator uh, overtly in the the guise of the boomers but also in the nature of um this artificial intelligence uh extending beyond the boundaries that it was created for um, it's intended for one purpose but um either of its own accord or through human intervention and generally the, the latter um, being made to uh, function in another capacity. And episode two will we'll deal with that um, a little bit more in depth. And before we move on to the second OVA, we will um, address two, two small points, I guess, the um, relationship between uh, Chiego and Kane uh, as he, as Kane uh, begins to go berserk. Um, he's ultimately, um, well, he's, he's professing his love and desire to marry uh, Chiego, and that is not reciprocated um, in the manner that he wishes. Uh, so his, his own, his agency and the manner at which it's being executed, it's um, it's beyond the, the bounds of expectation. Uh, Chico does not see, she, she sees him as a 
um, a valuable partner um, in her in her business endeavor um, on the radio. But she, he's not a potential love interest. Uh, whether that is due to his specific personality, uh, whether that is due to him being a boomer and not a human, um, is not explored in in the relationship specifically between uh, Chieko uh, and Kane. Uh, we can read into it that Chieko is not um, willing to accept boomers fully as um, equal to humans, uh, but their their business relationship and the value that she places upon him uh, as a partner is is still um, a valid one, and she is not viewing him specifically as a tool, um, but as as it, as their relation their working relationship is just that it's a working relationship between two people. So I don't think that she's um, seeing him as less than human, but something more um, analogous to how uh, Buzz and Kimball uh, are partners on a more or less um, equal footing. And I think part of her reaction and the the entreaty um, on Kane on his part to her um, for marriage for a companionship something beyond their um, general relationship is it's unexpected it's out of left field it's outside of his normal reactions because he has um, at this point gone become rogue um, transitioned from that boomer to a uh, boomer without without the uh, physical at this point at least um, manifestations of how that uh, um, problem emerges but that his um his unexpected emotions are couched in violence um they are potentially not uh on purpose uh of making this courtship a violent um, endeavor uh but on the fact couched into the fact that uh, the, the boomers themselves these cybernetic organisms are uh far stronger and well they're made of metal um at least on the inside they don't lend themselves uh in particular to um these sort of amorous pursuits and uh less so to ones that are um unwanted advances uh be that as it may um the the overture was um or I guess is resolved uh, by the arrival of Buzz and Kimball, who distract the, um, not the, they distract Kane uh, long enough for um, Chieko to uh, kill him, or I guess, yes, kill Kane with a, um, a, a dropped revolver. And that's also uh where we find out that Buzz uh, has an aversion to um, firearms, um, despite his um, profession. So that'll wrap up um, OVA 1, A Faint Voice, and kind of gives a, an easy overview into the, the, the working relationships between humans and boomers um, in this setting. Uh, 
either in a professional sense um, or in a sense of how human some humans are relating to boomers um, on a personal level, but then also just seeing them as uh, machines, which they ostensibly they are, but the fact that they can exhibit these emotions and do have hopes, dreams, desires, um, maybe not literally in the dream sense, but uh, they, the boomers themselves wish to surpass their own limitations um, and become something human. And on the human's part, we're seeing some of them want to become more than they already are. And episode two uh, will delve into those personal relations uh, a little bit deeper. So we'll take a short break, uh, and then uh, we'll be back with episode two. continuing on with episode two is that the final defective boomer uh, that Buzz was tasked with um, eliminating was his stand-in wife so that um, yeah that's <laughs> probably not the best thing for his mental health which I'm imagining was already a bit shaky um, uh, including his his gun shy um, tendencies but uh, episode two Dreamer picks up one year after the uh, end of the first episode, and that brings us to 2035, even further into the future. Now, as I mentioned, this um, episode of the show deals a little bit more with the interpersonal relations uh, between humans and boomers. Um, in this instance, specifically, uh, it's, it's dealing with sex workers and their relations between the human prostitutes and the boomer prostitutes. The, the boomers are, um, in particular, B-type boomers, so they're not the C-type combat um, boomers that are generally the ones who go berserk. Uh, the B-type boomers in this instance are, or have been, um, modified to enhance their uh, work capabilities, <laughs> I guess I guess you could say. Um, however, the, the boomer prostitutes are not um, looked upon kindly uh, by either society at large, it seems, uh, or um, in particular, the, um, the human prostitutes that uh, f frequent the I guess it's a it's a district. It's a, a particular street um, 
uh, in um, Genom City, well, where they ply their trade. The, um, the, the boomer sex workers are relegated to alleyways, um, the entrance, like small side streets, um, where, whereas the human um, prostitutes are more overt in their uh, entreaties to uh, garner clients. Uh, on the other side of that coin, uh, by and large, the the prostitution itself does not seem to be a, a problematic um, for society, or at least in this particular um, district, it's not seen as a poor trade, I guess. Um, but the clientele that shun the human workers in favor of the boomers are, uh, however, um, looked down upon as much, uh, if not more so, than the boomers that um, they employ. So, in this instance, the, the boomers are treated uh, more, they're even further dehumanized. They're treated more like a tool, not only um, from the derision of the uh, of their competition, but also uh, the, the pimps that employ them see them as less than uh, or as uh, tools to gain profit from. We also find that derision um, extends to uh, the police task force um, sent to investigate uh, crimes in the district. I don't think that this comes across, um, this particular instance of derision, does not come across in the uh, subtitles uh, or in the English dub. However, uh, in the Japanese, the... Um, the detective remarking on the number of slain boomer prostitutes uh, uses a, uh, a counter. Um, in, in Japanese, things are uh, affixed with uh, a numeral counter, so like a, a person is counted in a different way than, say, a cat. Uh, or in this case, a person is counted in a different way as a machine. And the detective makes the remark that um, this is... Uh, now, I don't remember the exact number, but um, <laughs> whatever number of uh, victims, uh, he uses the human counter before correcting himself um, and jokingly uses the, or I guess not so jokingly, uses the counter for machines, um, showing just how highly uh, he thinks of the boomers um, in this instance, uh, or or not so highly, um, as the case turns out to be. Now, um, the plot-wise, what we have going on is there are uh, a rash of killings of uh, sex worker boomers. Um, in this case, they are referred to as hooker boomers, and there is a serial murderer of these boomers um, has been uh, entitled the hooker boomer crusher um, in, in the Japanese. Um, it's a literal 
English uh, phrase. And we will eventually find out who, who this Hooker Boomer crush is uh, as our uh, main cast of the uh, AV police branch office uh, are involved directly in this case, seeing as it's a boomer crime being committed, or a crime against boomers, um, as the case may be in this particular instance. Our main protagonist this go-round, uh, while we do have Buzz and Kimball um, involved in some of the uh, footwork, the, the main cast member of this go-round is Michelson, uh, who in episode one was uh, not confined, but primarily engaged in uh, her, her work as a you know, fire bee pilot. In this case, she volunteers to go undercover uh, as the only other female member of the team, Angel, is already um, undercover working for Genom. So Michelson volunteers to act as a, uh, a decoy um, prostitute to try to entice the hooker boomer crutcher and find out, or at least even get information from the other prostitutes to see if um, someone knows something or has seen uh, a potential suspect to be the hooker boomer crusher. This is where she takes the time to uh, assert her more f feminine qualities, um, in particular uh, trying to get Buzz, uh, her, her <coughs> senior uh, worker, to acknowledge her as a woman. Um, we've seen in the first episode, uh, I didn't really get into it, but Michaelson has a at least a crush on on her um, senior in the uh, in the branch, and uh, in well in the following episode, uh, the final OVA, uh, Kimball, even though he's a boomer, is able to note um, that she uh, Michaelson has feelings for for Buzz, um, unrequited as they may be. But this is uh, her her overt. Um, play uh, at Buzz, I guess, uh, is showing that uh, even she's feminine. Um, her, her general uh, demeanor and carriage uh, within the organization is typically more masculine traits. Um, being the one to, to pilot the fire bee and use like the heavier weapons. But in this instance, she's trying to show that she's confident in her, her femininity uh, and ability to seduce men. I'm guessing that it doesn't ever get that far. What we find instead is there uh, is a high-profile... Um, high-profile might not be the right word. Hmm... A high-end um, prostitute boomer um, by the name of Eve, who whose clientele um, is is uh, businessmen, 
um, and, and high-ranking officials. She has uh, clientele that have been within the high ranks of Genom, uh, as well as... Uh, it doesn't really get into who the people are. They're, they're all anonymous. But uh, she generally um, deals with clients that are in a uh, posher section of the district uh, and in a, in a particularly swanky hotel. Um, a few of the maintenance workers in the hotel uh, remark that um, even though she's a boomer, uh, their chances of being able to afford her services are um, next to nothing. Uh, she, she's that highly uh, regarded in, in her field. But Michelson uh, encounters um, Eve uh, on the street as Eve's heading to, to her next job. And Michelson is even noting that um, for, for a boomer, Eve has a certain presence that she notices uh, and other uh general pedestrians in the, in the city, not, not particularly clients, but just people kind of walking um, down the avenue um, are all turning their heads to, to look at Eve. Um, she's that notable. Um, but Michelson remarks uh, somewhat unfortunately, I guess, that um, e even this, her, I'm just saying, even this boomer, um, Eve, uh, has more femininity um, or is presenting um, as a woman more than Michaelson herself. Um, so she feels uh, slighted, but I think it's not, um, it's envy uh, rather than being upset. So she's not, she's, she's more taken with Eve uh, in the fact that she's able to entice that sort of um, appreciation from like anybody passing by. And part and parcel of what Eve delivers over uh, either the traditional sex worker or other boomers um, in that in that um, job field is she states specifically um, that she allows men or I guess clients I shouldn't say she's specifically servicing men but um, that she allows them to dream and does not treat them as the enemy Whereas she, uh, Eve remarks that uh, Michelson is treating men um, as something uh, to be feared or an enemy or something to conquer uh, versus uh, seeing their job as a way to provide not just a service, um, but uh, like a, a, f a sense of maybe freedom or otherness. Um, a dream, as, as uh, in, in Eve's specific words, is she uh, provides her clients with uh, the dream that they are they are seeking. We come to find out that part of Eve's charm uh, or her abilities um, and what makes her so attractive is that she has uh, emotions above that of a standard boomer. There are procedures th uh, that allow one to 
graft one's emotions um, onto a boomer or imprint them onto a boomer. Uh, I may have mentioned this, but um, it's not clear whether that needs to be um, post-mortem or if it can be done from a living um, host or donor, memory donor. Uh, but Eve is the beneficiary of such a procedure. And it's uh, interfering, it, while it's providing her with a sort of ephemeral existence, this uh, dreamlike quality that she, she has, uh, it's also troubling her because it's giving her dreams as she puts it um, but I think they're more to her viewed as uh, nightmares because there's something a boomer is not supposed to dream they aren't uh, when they when they're in a resting state that sleep um, uh, nothing is supposed to occur but for Eve that's not the case and she's troubled by this uh, her handler um, the puppet master, the, the titular puppet master of the episode, um, well, I guess it's not, yeah, the episode title. Is a, uh, mm, it's almost a non-entity within the, uh, within the show. Uh, you only encounter him through uh, a voiceover uh, as a silhouette, a shadow, um, He's literally behind the scenes, uh, as the puppet master would be, um, in, in, in name and in deed. But what he's done, uh, we find out through, um, the efforts of Myers to, to crack this hooker boomer crusher case, um, there are... It's not only the, the um, hooker boomers uh, that are, have been killed. The whole problem with this is there was a Genom CEO that was in a hospital and had been visited by a, um, a prostitute and died um, as a result or at least shortly thereafter. Um, the death was, uh, or I guess the cause of death um, was still uh, up in the air. But it's determined that there was a presence of a uh, human hormone, like an excess of it, um, an endomide. Um, it's a pleasure hormone, and the CEO's body had been um, injected uh, with it somehow. And that was the, the, the cause of death was excessive pleasure, uh, a heart attack, I believe is the case maybe. But due to uh, that particular instance, Myers is able to trace um, someone purchasing large amounts of that hormone. Um, while it does occur naturally in the body, um, it is a, I guess it's something that someone could uh, synthesize. Uh, or, or it's in, it purchasable in large amounts. But it turns out the puppet master uh, who purchased the <laughs> hormones under the pseudonym puppet master um, has been using that hormone or at least 
encasing, uh, not encasing, um, built a modification into Eve uh, so that she would be able to store the hormone and then inject it um, into her clients to further um, enhance the, the dream state that she's purported to provide. So in, in doing that, they um, realize that the Hooker Boomer Crusher is a contracted entity um, by Genom in order to ferret out the uh, murderer, as they see it, of, their, of one of their CEOs. Uh, the, the Hooker Boomer Crusher has been going around crushing boomers um, in order to find the one that had uh, murdered the CEO, um, regardless of the intent. And of course, that, that boomer happens to be Eve. Um, we find out that the nightmares that she's been having, or the dreams, um, are not confined to her um, sleeping state, but also when she's engaged in her job. Um, she has periods of... Um, I guess a loss of control or just uh, falling into her dream state. And in that moment, she's uh, absently injecting maybe too much of the um, hormone into her clients. And sometimes they die, sometimes they do not. Um, but she's killed at least two people um, in this manner uh, unwillingly. She's not, not, or I guess not on purpose. She's, she's doing the, the injecting on purpose, but um, the, the result is not uh, something that she's uh, intending. It's, um, it's causing her uh, stress and anguish and probably fueling um, the further of the, the nightmares that she's having when she's sleeping. And then we have a bit of... Uh, supernatural events occurring as well. The episode itself opens and closes with a bit of red cloth um, floating over the city uh, and uh, resolving into the figure of a young, uh, I guess, kindergarten age child. Um, she's in a kindergarten outfit, but it's all red. And we'll sort of ghostily appear um, and disappear at will, uh, but has been um, calling to Eve. Uh, and Eve has, even with her uh, boomer sensors, is unable to classify uh, what, what she's finding. Um, is, it, is it a ghost? Is it a, uh, a memory um, from her uh, host? Or not host, but yeah, the donor, the, the donor memory. Um, come back to haunt her. Um, her scanners sense that something is there, however, um, but it's not classifiable as either human uh, nor boomer. And uh, that angle is, um, unfortunately, it's not resolved. Uh, I say unfortunately, but it does at least lend a sense of mystery um, to the episode. Uh, one that 
isn't really present in either the first or third uh, OBA, so it it doesn't quite fit um, in with a lot of the themes aside from dealing with, uh, if you view that ghost as a memory, um, it, it jives a little bit better uh, with the surrounding show. Um, I did say that the, the episodes were not character-centric. That was a slight misstep because this one does um, specifically focus on um, Michelson. And to, to the lesser extent, uh, we're getting less screen time from Buzz and Kimball. Uh, Michelson also has a nifty showdown uh, when she does uh, eventually encounter the Hooker Crusher. Um, it's a uh, insectoid. It's not a boomer. Uh, it's well, I guess it could kind of be a boomer. It's definitely a, a mechanical creation, but uh, more on the side of um, an organic uh, machine. It had originally been hiding itself within the the shell of a cat. It's about like. Body of a cat, but it um, it bursts out in sort of a larval form, far larger than the cat should have been able to hold. So that was a little weird. But it uh, eventually turns into a multi-limbed um, kind of insectish thing that shoots huge laser beams from its mouth, and um, Michelson takes care of it uh, by jamming a a knife into the um, beam emitter in its mouth and um, causing it to self-destruct. So that bit was interesting. Uh, as much as the, the, the themes and everything else is kind of going on in this episode. Um, that's sort of it for the Puppet Master episode. Eve um, ends up following that, that phantasm um, to, to her uh, detriment and ends up suiciding um, by walking off of a, like a little, walking into a construction area pitfall and um, uh, dies. So there's no happy ending, but I guess just an end to the dreams that Eve had um, been experiencing. So that is episode Oh, I'm sorry, I called the episode Puppet Master. It's um, episode two was Dreamer, which is a little bit more apropos um, given Eve's penchant. <laughs> so, um, well, that about wraps up episode two. Uh, we'll move on uh, in just a moment to uh, OBA three, Knights of a Round Table. This OVA is set five years after the end of the first um, episode and brings us to the year 2039. Um, and this is one year prior to the start of the Bubblegum Crisis 2040 uh, TV series. So when we get to that one, we'll see if these events in um, Parasite Dolls uh, translates to uh, anything that happens in, in the subsequent series. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that one, so um, I don't remember, and we'll, we'll find out in due time.
now as opposed to the previous episode of Dreamer. Uh, this third one focuses uh, equally, mm, well, a little bit heavier on um, uh, Buzz's side, uh, a little bit less um, on Michelson. Uh, however, um, we have a longer dialogue, moment, moment of dialogue and introspection between um, Michelson and um, Kimball who have been, uh, they're, they're, what did, I don't remember what they were doing, um, <laughs> they are, oh, they are going to find, uh, or I guess to the home of, um, their chief, Takahashi, who has gone missing, that's the, the central, uh, idea, the impetus, um, uh, of the, uh, branches movements in the third episode um takashi has gone missing and buzz is searching down one lead along with help from myers and angel and then kimball and michelson are taking a one of the vehicles um to uh takashi's residence which they find out is quite a bit farther um in Genom city than they than they had initially suspected because the drive's taking much longer. And this is also where we get the conversation between Kimball and Michelson, where Kimball mentions uh, Michelson's overt attraction to Buzz, and um, she spends most of that encounter denying uh, that such an attraction exists. Um, but she's blushing the whole time, so she's not really fooling anybody, um, not even herself. Uh, it's a it's a nice little interlude, and I wish that it had last longer. Um, unfortunately, their um, their buddy buddy discussion is interrupted by uh, an arrival of an attack helicopter um, sent by the government, I believe, um, to wipe out um, both of these investigators. Because as it turns out, spoiler. Um, Takahashi has been in league with a, um, a politician by the name of Sorimi. Uh, no, sorry, Sorime. Uh, Sorime is a high-ranking politician in the government, and he had originally been caught um, years ago uh, by Takahashi and one of the other um, AD police uh, chiefs uh, in a, uh, back in his college days in, in Sorime's college days and he had been in, in possession of drugs uh, in exchange um, for their silence basically Sorime bought off um, Takahashi and the other uh, I think maybe it's the superintendent I don't remember his rank but um, he, he paid off um, both of those gentlemen and Takahashi has been in his employ um, since that time. Now, Sorime is in a powerful position. Um, he has been running on a platform that uh, boomers are a, a threat to to humanity, uh, in that they are supplanting. 
um, people's wants and needs and interfering with personal or interpersonal connections. So he, he thinks that they're a danger to society, to the well-being of humanity. Um, if people are willing to, or maybe willing, but if they are going to be in emotionally investing themselves um, in, in these machines um, rather than each other, uh, it's, he thinks it's going to be a problem, uh, a problem for future generations, uh, which may or may not exist because people's affections have now been placed upon um, an, an artificial uh, life form. That's the platform he's running on, and he's getting um, a lot of support uh, from more conservative uh, base that uh, is against uh, the spread of um, the boomer technology. At its core, anyway. Um, however, that's the facade that he's working with. Surime doesn't, in fact, uh, have this hatred for boomers. He has an indifference. He specifically calls out that he views them not with um, disdain, but just nothing. They're, they're tools meant to be exploited. Um, uh, unlike his, uh, his loyal base, uh, the the human or the, these beings of flesh and blood can um, display a loyalty beyond that uh, of a programmed thing. Um, they're willing to sacrifice themselves and their own well-being in service to a higher power, and that power, of course, being Sorime. The boomers don't have that in his in his uh, point of view, don't have that capacity. They, uh, they'll they do what they're told, but it's not out of any sense of obligation. It's just part of their programming. And he thinks that that's a fault. So what he's done is, um, unfortunately, uh, when Buzz uh, was in college, he wrote a thesis paper on uh, urban terrorism and the threat that um, could be posed were someone to use the emergency um, lighting system in the city uh, as a catalyst for um, setting off explosives. It's called, he, his paper was called the um, domino effect explosion system. Um, because Buzz had written this thesis, uh, Surime is able to basically pin a crime like that that could occur on uh, um, on Buzz, and he does so. He sets five hundred P three bombs um, around the city in various parts, and causes a a power outage. Well, the the or I guess the first explosion um, will set off the next bomb 
uh, as the emergency lights come on. And each successive uh, light empowers like the next bomb. Um, the, the bombs themselves are created out of a material that is not uh, detectable by um, explosives detectors, I guess. <laughs> and in doing so, it, um, it eventually results in the destruction of um, the larger part of Genom City. Um, and specifically the, um, the boomer manufacturing sectors, uh, or so it appears. And this, um, you know, like I said, this, this results in the, the larger um, destruction of the city. So in the end, um, Genom City, the, um, the this artificial city, uh, meets the same fate as uh, Aqua City does in the, the original um, Bubblegum Crisis. So even with this separate timeline, um, the, the land reclamation and this project to... Uh, allow the Japanese population to subsist on um, land that uh, had, had previously been underwater um, is, is also doomed to failure. Uh, the, the episode in, in, in particular is entitled Knights of a Round Table uh, because the, the bomb project the, that Soime has created it was called Project Excalibur. Uh, and he he has that as his uh, project to to basically cease boomer production and and create a world without boomers. Um, the the other knights of the round table are the the other politicians and um, supporters of uh, Surime who have been uh, basically funding his platform and um his his uh i think it's a re-election campaign doesn't really get into that part of it um that's by and large the the plot of uh the third ova um buzz finds out that takashi uh was um in league or i guess working for um Soime and uh, his disappearance was actually a murder. Um, Takachi had he had enough of uh, Surime and realized that Surime's goals included the, the, the terrorist attack um, on the city and wasn't going to put up with it. Uh, so Surime just killed him. Um, unfortunately, uh, the other events happen um branch did not fare well with this um with this particular episode uh the the attack helicopter succeeded in killing kimball who sacrificed um, himself uh for michelson um cementing michelson's uh feelings for boomers her one of her last lines that she has in the um in the episode or is that uh uh, boomers aren't tools they're they're here to protect um, humans as as Kimball shielded her from the um, the attack helicopter explosion um, we also uh, unfortunately lose uh, both 
Myers and Angel, um, who are murdered by uh, Surime, um during their investigation. Uh, all that's left of the team is um, Buzz and uh, Michelson at this point, or at least at the, as the episode uh, wraps itself up. We get a, um, a very short flashback uh, detailing Buzz's wife's murder, uh, as well as the moment when he, he um, killed the little girl that he had mistaken as a rampaging boomer. Um, it's very brief. It's maybe like two, three, three seconds at most. It's sort of a blitz of images um, that you have to kind of like pause the, uh, the, the, the video to, to look at in, in any kind of depth. Mm. Yeah, I think that that, <laughs> that wraps up uh, kind of what I wanted to say about uh, the, the, the series Parasite Dolls. Um, so we get views, these differing views on how boomers are not only treated, um, how society views them, how the government potentially views them, and then how people relate to them on, on, on different levels, either as co-workers, um, as servants, as lovers, as friends. Uh, and I think in the end, through... Kimball's character and through Eve, uh, we can we, we find out that these boomers are more than just a surface depth. Um, the the combination of being able to endow them with uh, human memories, uh, the level of uh, in artificial intelligence they they do have um, that idea of a consciousness that isn't just an artificial programming but something that I think can learn to adapt, to grow, um, to make them more human than they otherwise uh, would be, uh, or I guess as human as their outer appearance um, would lead you to believe, uh, is uh, an interesting foil to how some of the characters do um, treat them. And it will be interesting also, uh, I say interesting, it will be uh, useful to see how that treatment is extended to the boomers in um, Bubblegum Crisis 2040 uh, and contrast that with maybe how the boomers are seen or portrayed in the original um, Bubblegum Crisis. So that, uh, that wraps up this first episode of Season 3. Next episode, we will be taking a look at the South Korean film Natural City and see how humans and artificial intelligence slash cyborgs are treated in that, um, in that particular universe instead. Um, this is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, signing off. I'll see you next time.